second reading is a reading from John. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. The Gospel of the Lord. Uh, please join me in prayer as we stand. Father in heaven, uh, we come before you right now, each of us in a different space. Uh, we've, each of us have, are in a different mental space. Each of us have a little different uh, uh, background with you, uh, different wrestle with you. We come uh, together on a day in which there are uh, many things weighing upon our hearts. For some of us, the things that are weighing upon our hearts are known only to ourselves. And for others of us, the things that are weighing upon our hearts are things that are spread all over the newspaper. And we think of the people in Haiti. And we think of the people in Afghanistan. And we think of the heartache. And Father, we are in the midst of a world that is quite obviously broken. And we feel it. And we weep tears in the midst of it. And through those tears and in this moment and in the midst of the heaviness, we ask for the power of your Holy Spirit now. And that you would grant us that great miracle that is described in our reading, that we would somehow feed on Christ in our hearts by faith and with thanksgiving. And if need be, let it be a kind of defiant sort of thanksgiving. And so we need your inbreaking. And we need that to happen now. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, please sit down. Um, if you've uh, been around Emmanuel for a little bit of time, or if you're new with us, probably pretty uh, quick, you'll hear people say this, or you'll hear me say this, I'm, I, it's a broken record. Um, Emmanuel exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of New York City. Uh, if you haven't heard that yet, you will hear it a whole lot more, so get used to it. And one of the things that we're trying to say when we say that is that we want to be a church that is animated by Jesus. We want to be a church that not only looks at God from a distance, that not only looks simply at, for instance, morality from a distance, or uh, the religious life, or the world around us kind of from a distance and have opinions and things like that, but rather we want to be a people in whom God is working from the inside out, giving life that we cannot generate ourselves. Now, even as I say that, I'm, I can imagine somebody saying, I don't, I, 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 those were words, I don't even know what you're talking about. 
which is fine because our reading today, the second reading from the Gospel of John, uh, is Jesus talks about this dynamic, and we're, so we're going to be talking about it. The thing is, Jesus does not use the words in this context that we typically use. He doesn't talk about seeing and describing and reflecting his beauty. What he talks about is eating his flesh, which is bonkers, right? So if you grew up in church, maybe it doesn't feel like bonkers because you're used to communion or uh, you've read this passage before. Uh, If you do not have a church background, uh, hopefully you feel how crazy this is. And if you feel that Jesus' talk about eating his flesh and drinking his blood is crazy, fantastic. You're in the space of the original hearers because they thought it was crazy. In fact, this is one of Jesus' speeches that actually uh, shrunk his following. So after Jesus said, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood, loads of his followers said, that is like five bridges too far. He's talking about cannibalism. I'm out. And you can appreciate why they might do that, right? Come on. And, but despite that, despite the pushback, and you can see the pushback uh, in, um, I think, verse 52, but despite the pushback, Jesus doubles down on his comments and says, no, 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 I'm serious. In fact, I'm going to go more extreme. If you do not eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no life in you. Now, here's my question. What in the world is he talking about on the one hand? But also, why would Jesus double down on these radically offensive comments? Now, it must have been, it seems to me, that he thought that they were really, really important. And I want to argue that that's exactly why Jesus doubles down on these comments. You've got to eat my flesh, you've got to drink my blood. It's because it's really, really important. So I'm going to ask three questions. First of all, what gift is it that God wants to give us when Jesus talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood? What's the gift in there? There is one. What is it? Number two, why do we need it so much? And number three, how does it transform us? What's the gift? Why do we need it? How does it transform us? First of all, what is the gift that Jesus is describing when he says, uh, eat my flesh and drink my blood? Now, um, in order to explain that, there's a backstory, okay? And the backstory hap- uh, is all about when Israel ate manna in the wilderness. Do you remember that story? So Jesus mentions it in verse 49. Let me just review it. So this was hundreds of years before Jesus. Uh, Israel had been enslaved in Egypt. And God uh, broke into their lives. Israel didn't really uh, know much about uh, the God, uh, would later be called the God of Israel. Israel didn't know God that well, uh, but God introduced himself to Israel by breaking into their lives in the midst of their enslavement and liberating them, which is fantastic. The thing is, though, as Israel comes out of Egypt and out of their slavery, they're not yet certain that they can trust God. You know, it's fantastic that, uh, that this God liberated us from slavery, but it wasn't clear to them yet that this God wouldn't just replace Egyptian slavery with his own version of slavery. Maybe this God was going to enslave us and, and make us do terrible things. Or maybe, and this was the key thing, maybe this God is going to hang us out to dry. Maybe this God is going to lead us out of Egypt into the desert, which God does do. And in the desert, maybe, thinks Israel, maybe we're going to starve. Maybe we're going to die of thirst. Can we trust this God? And there, when Israel's trust in God is low and their fear is high, right in that moment, God begins to feed them. 
daily, miraculously, with something called manna, which translated means, what in the world is this? They didn't know what it was. They called it manna. And he fed them miraculously day in and day out for 40 years. And that's part of how God showed that he was trustworthy and that he was generous. The gift that God gave through manna was physical life. However, after 40 years of uh, giving Israel uh, physical life through manna, God says, hey, Israel, listen, I've, been, I've spent 40 years building your trust by feeding you day in and day out, but I want you to know that there's a deeper lesson I've wanted you to learn this whole time. He says, I take care of your physical life because ultimately I want to give you spiritual life. Specifically in Deuteronomy chapter 8, if you want to look at look it up, uh, God says, um, I've given you manna so that you can learn to live not just on physical bread, not just gain physical life, but to live every moment trusting in my word, spiritual life. Now that's background, but go to Jesus because uh, in verse 49, Jesus says, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. But this bread that comes down from heaven is different. This one I give so that one may eat of it and not die. Now, just before this, or the day before, Jesus had fed thousands of people miraculously and so and, and had fed them physically. But here, a little bit like what God does in Deuteronomy, Jesus says, I fed you physically yesterday, but there's a deep, deeper lesson. There's a better bread. I've taken care of your physical life, but I want to give you spiritual life or eternal life. Now, that's the gift that Jesus is talking about when he talks about eating my flesh and drinking my blood. Well, wait, but what is that spiritual life? What is that better gift? Take a look at verse 56. Jesus says, whoever eats, or sorry, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Now, there's a lot of images in those verses, but notice these three. Jesus talks about life and living. He talks about a life that will last forever, he talks about a life that comes through him abiding in us, living in us, and us living in him. And then thirdly, he talks about that this life is a life that is uniquely shared with his father. Now focus on that last one. What kind of life does Jesus share with his father? Well, if you back up and you read the rest of the Gospel of John, which is where this excerpt comes from, what you'll find out is that from, I know this is a mind bender, from all eternity past, God the Father and God the Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit, have lived together in a bond of infinite intimacy, infinite love, infinite intimacy for infinite duration of time. And the thing that's so shocking in verse 57 is that Jesus claims that whoever feeds on him will enjoy that same kind of life that the Father and the Son have always enjoyed. And the reason we will enjoy that unique life, not physical life, but spiritual life, not human life, but the life of God himself, the way we will enjoy that life is because Jesus himself will somehow live inside us. 
So now let me change the image and use a word that I used at the very beginning. Feeding on Jesus and Jesus abiding in us is about Jesus becoming the animating center of our lives. The word to animate means to make alive. Jesus becomes the animating center of our lives. And as that happens, we end up remarkably, a little now, a lot in the life to come, we end up sharing the intimacy that Jesus enjoys with his Father. We, we experience the very thing that makes God himself joyful. That's what the gift is, and that's what spiritual life is all about. And Emmanuel, I want you to look at, just for a minute, the magnitude of God's generosity to us, the magnitude of the gift that he wants to give us. Let me try to say the whole thing differently. So the Bible says um, that God loves to give us physical life, right? He creates us. You did not create yourself. You should always remember that. God created you. It's a gift. Everybody breathe. It's a gift. He likes to give us manna, daily bread, everything we need for life. He loves to do that. That's part of his generosity. And yet, that is not his final and greatest aim. God has a bigger aim than that. And the Bible tells us that God loves to uh, teach us more morally. God loves to give us commands. Commands are not how he keeps us down. Uh, commands are how he teaches us the life of love and what it looks like in the nitty-gritty of life. God loves to give us moral teaching. It's part of his love and his generosity. And yet, it's not God's final and biggest aim. It's part of it. But there's a better way to say what God is eventually leading us towards. You can't end it there. The Bible tells us that God loves to self-disclose. He, he wants to tell us all about who he is, his characteristics, and, and so on and so forth, so that we can really know the God who is there and what God is really like. That's part of his generosity. And yet, God still presses further. His aim is still bigger than that. All of those gifts are meant to build up to his greatest gift. And we've said this before. God's greatest gift is always himself. He wants to give himself to us. He wants to make Jesus Christ the animating center of our lives. And as he is the animating center of our lives, he will bring us to know the intimacy with his father that he has known throughout all ages past. And that is spiritual life. And, you know, one of the difficulties about this is that it's, it's a gift that is bigger than our capacity to imagine it. It's a gift that is bigger than our capacity to desire it. And this is one of the reasons why maybe right now you're sitting there going, I can't quite see it. I can see it only from a distance. It's a bit blurry. And that's understandable. Because it will take, literally, Emmanuel, it will take you an eternity to fully see the beauty of the gift that God wants to give you. Because that gift is himself. And he is an infinite being. And therefore, it must take an infinite amount of time to fully appreciate who he is and enjoy his intimacy. That's something of the gift. But why do we need it? Well, think about how much you need food. Do you need food? You need food, right? Um, you, typically, I usually remember I need food about three times a day, and often more. 
And um, food is something, it's just inter inter uh, intricately connected to our sense of neediness. And when Jesus says, you must eat my flesh, you must drink my blood, what he's telling us is that we need this spiritual life more urgently than we can even imagine. One of the things about uh, being a human is that um, it, it is an odd thing. We can have, can you identify with this? You can have everything that you need. You can have all the food you need. You can have all the shelter you need. You can even accomplish everything you want to accomplish in life. And despite having everything you need and maybe everything you want, you can find yourselves in the end still deeply dissatisfied. Can you identify with that? Have you noticed that? Um, I mean, the Olympics just happened, right? Um, and uh, what, I, I was watching this documentary, maybe you saw it too, where it was saying that very often after uh, uh, people, after the Olympics, after Olympic champions even, not just athletes, but champions, find themselves, uh, find a deep emptiness after they achieve everything that they've been working for all their lives. And probably some of that's physiological and lots of different reasons, but some of it is just an aspect of being human. We can have everything we want and yet still find ourselves hungry and starving. Why? Well, the Bible says that we have an urgent need to receive spiritual life by feeding on Christ. We need spiritual life, and therefore we need spiritual food. And God designed us, he designed you and designed me with a hunger that could only be satisfied with him. God designed you and designed me so that he could give himself to us and therefore, he designed into us a dissatisfaction with this world until we find our rest in him. That, that's part of why we need spiritual life, but it's actually more intense than that. Look back at the reading. Look at verse 53. Jesus says, if you don't eat, uh, feed on his flesh and drink his blood, you will have no life within you. You know what that means? And this could get a little heavy. This means that we will die without Jesus' spiritual life. It doesn't mean that we're going to die physically, though we are all going to die. Team, we are not getting out of this alive, okay? Just so you know. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about spiritual death, which is worse. It's not just that if we don't feed on Christ, we'll find ourselves kind of emotionally empty. It's not just that. It's that life without Jesus will end up being a long kind of dying, uh, I asked at the beginning why it is that Jesus would double down on comments that seemed so offensive. It was, was offensive in his day. And it seems to me that part of the reason that he doubles down on this image of eating his flesh and drinking his blood is because he wants to shock us into seeing how urgently we need him. Um, let me try to sharpen this. Christians talk a lot about sin, right? Everybody's like, oh dear. Christians talk a lot about sin, and sin can be described a lot of different ways. Sometimes it's um, living as if God's not there. Sometimes it's actively rebelling against what we know God uh, tells us to do. Um, different ways of describing it. But one way to describe, to describe sin is that sin is when we try to satisfy our deep soul hunger with anything other than him. We, sin is when we gorge ourselves on something not God. And it doesn't work. Uh, I had a friend many years ago who, who talked to me about a time in his life when he was terribly, terribly hungry. He couldn't get food. And, and he said that, that one of the ways he dealt with it is he uh, smoked cigarettes to, to distract him or to suppress his feelings of hunger. He was slowly starving. And that's a little bit like what sin is like. In this way, 
Sin has no spiritual nutrients. It has no spiritual life. And therefore, however much we fill ourselves with it, we end up still getting more and more malnourished. We get hungrier and hungrier, but sin dulls our awareness of our hunger until we find ourselves spiritual skeletons, starving but unable to see our hunger. So that hell is like a, a land of hunger. It's a place of constant gorging but ever-increasing starvation. It's a spiritual kind of death. And it's worse than physical death. And every one of us plays with it every time we uh, turn away from God and prefer sin. And I can hear somebody saying, golly, Jim, that just got dark. Yeah. To which I respond, probably not nearly enough. See, it's easy to soft pedal the stakes. Um, very often, we want a God, it seems to me, I want a God who's going to give me all the manna I want, all the manna I want, right? All, every, I want God to give me the stuff that I want for this life. I want food and career. I want a retirement plan. I want good relationships. I want these things, and God likes giving many of those things to us. Those are not usually bad things, but very often we want God to give us those things, but we don't want God to go further. We don't want God to do anything that's going to change me from being a kind of respectable, uh, reasonable, moderate person in the midst of my social group. And as long as we believe that that's all that God wants for us, then we'll imagine that the stakes in this whole spiritual life thing are not very high. But the thing is, when you see Jesus and he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood, we find ourselves up against a different kind of God. We find ourselves up against a God who, of course, loves, don't hear me wrong, loves to give us everything that we need. It is, a, it is a delight to him. He is not a stingy God, but he's just more generous than we can imagine. He wants to not only care for us physically, he wants to transfigure us. He wants to transfigure us from sinners into saints that reflect the glory of God and who will forever spend eternity growing closer to him and looking more and more like him. And if you really want to see the magnitude of the miracle God wants to accomplish, you've got to look at the extremity of the cross. You know, in verse 51, Jesus says, I'm going to give my flesh for the life of the world, and that's a reference to his death just a short time later. And when Jesus died, when he was put upon the cross, that is the climax of God's love. It's the climax of his generosity. Because when Jesus is dying upon the cross, he's working in exchange, a radical, an extreme kind of exchange. He's giving, he's, he's allowing himself to, so to speak, be starved by our spiritual sin. He's allowing him to be starved of spiritual life that we deserve in order that he can give us the spiritual life that is his by right. I expect one of the other reasons why Jesus doubles down on this image, this stark image of life and death and body and blood, is because for him it wasn't a metaphor. It was all very real. He was going to give his flesh and his blood so that we could be transformed and transfigured from sinners into saints. 
See, God has a great gift to give us, and it's urgent that we receive it. It's a matter of life and death. But then the last question is, how does it change us? How does it transform us? Because it does. We'll go back to eating again. Uh, physical eating, right? We all have a lot of experience with that. Physical eating is about receiving nutrients that we cannot produce ourselves. Does that make sense? So my body, your body, we do not produce vitamins. I, I know there's doctors in here, but I think this is right. You can tell me later if it's wrong. Just go with it, okay? I don't know anything about medicine. I, I'm pretty sure we don't produce vitamins. We don't produce nutrients. We don't produce calories. We don't produce water. We've got to receive it from outside. I think that's straightforward. And the receiving of those calories, those nutrients, that water, and so forth, that, is, that receiving of it is what we call eating. We're dependent on something outside us. And that's how spiritual, but it has to come inside us. And that's how spiritual life works from Jesus. Look at verse 50, 56. He must abide inside us so that then we can abide in him and know intimacy with God. So we cannot produce spiritual life. You can try all you want and it'll just get worse. There is nothing in me that can make me generate spiritual life. I can't manufacture intimacy with God. Jesus is the only human who enjoyed this intimacy as a, an aspect of his nature. But when he comes to me, and in a remarkable, mysterious way that I can't describe, when he comes into me and into you, he can give what is his to us from the inside. And I can receive it, and you can receive it, like we receive food. And when we eat food, um, it goes, there's a bunch of things that happen without us even thinking about it. When I eat food, first of all, I trust that the food is healthy, right? It's been a few times I've had uh, food poisoning. It's turned out not to be healthy. But most of the time, I just kind of bank on the fact that it's going to be healthy. I trust it. And then there comes a point in which I consent to eating it. I kind of say, yes. I mean, I don't think about it. I just go, I start shoveling it in. And in the process, I enjoy it. I, I taste it. And then finally, in a remarkable way, the food works invisibly within me to reinforce my physical life. And that's how faith works, Emmanuel. Faith is when we feed on Christ in our hearts so that we trust his promises, that all that he says is healthy and true, even the bits that seem so difficult, maybe especially those. And then we consent to his work. We look at him upon the cross and we consent to his offer of mercy. We say, yes, please. We consent to his offer of forgiveness. We say, yes, please. We consent to his offer of intimacy. We say, yes, I don't even quite know what that means, but yes, I'll take it, Jesus. And then we enjoy him. We taste and see that he is good. And that tasting him is getting to know him better and better over the course of this life and then infinitely better in the life of the world to come. And that happens when you read his word. That happens when we gather together with each other, when we pray for each other, when we receive the sacrament. And over as you grow in your Christian life, you will find that feeding on Christ becomes just the moment by moment and breath by breath a disposition of your soul. 
And then all, you know, just like food works invisibly within our bodies, so Jesus, by his spirit, works invisibly within us, transfiguring us, transforming what it is that we love, convicting us of our sin, bringing us to the cross again and again, increasing our appetite for him, filling us with a joy, even in the midst of the world that seems to be falling apart. We defiantly look to him and we have a hope that is imported from heaven. And that's how he transfigures us and transforms us. And can you see that it feels weak? It always feels weak. Very often, weakness is one way you know you're hungry. And so if you feel weak today, and if you look at the world outside and you say, I'm not sure there's much reason for hope, and I think you're right. Looking at the world under the sun, so to speak, it doesn't look like there's much reason to hope. But that is not what Jesus is asking you to do today. What Jesus is asking you today and summoning you to do today is he says, come to me and eat my flesh and drink my blood because I'm the one who faced the most hopeless moment in all of history. I am the one who went upon the cross and there upon the cross, God himself in Christ died. There is no greater moment of hopelessness than that. So whatever it is you're looking at that looks dark, look to the cross because there you will see a blacker darkness, but there in the midst of that black dark, you will see a light that will never go out. And there you will find Jesus giving you his blood and giving you his body and you will eat and you will taste something good, something that will never disappoint, something that will go on tasting better and better for all eternity. Yeah, it sounds weird. It's crazy. It's weird like heaven. So taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com slash give.